General Vagon has called the Battle of France is over. The Battle of Britain is about to begin. Welcome to the Lead Pursuit Podcast, a podcast covering Blood Red Skies, a game of World War II aerial combat. And welcome this evening to the Lead Pursuit Podcast. Tonight, as everyone knows, we're doing an interview with that most reprehensible of reprobates, Mr. Andy Chambers himself. Andy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me back on again, guys. Absolutely. And uh, unfortunately, I'm not able to interview you alone. I had to bring Chris on board. Hey, come on, man. You're killing me. Yeah. <laughs> and even Brett. They, w- they wouldn't allow me to interview you by myself. Yeah, somebody's got to keep you guys honest. Absolutely. So, Andy, great to have you back. We uh, are obviously talking about airstrike mostly tonight, but knowing how we are on the Lead Pursuit podcast, I'm sure the discussion will go range over a lot of different issues that uh, listeners have thrown us and then some questions we have on our own. But I'd really like to see it off with uh, you know, a question we've all kind of wondered, and uh, Martin Wilson asked it in the Blood Red Skies Ready Room. How pleased are you with airstrike as a final product? Uh, there's always a very mixed feeling when you actually publish something because that's it, the bars come down now and I can already tell you there's at least three mistakes I know about in there so understand how terrible (laughs) (laughs) it is always tempered with that knowledge and only more will follow but overall when I look at it we did manage to cram an awful lot of stuff in there Um, part of that is because it got delayed several times um, originally, I'm trying to remember when we were originally originally talking about putting it out. I think it was August last year. So it's had plenty of stewing time in which we've gone, oh, hey, we could put these cards in there, and oh, hey, we could put target cards in there and do a gatefold, and oh, hey, we can do this. So, oh, and let alone all the Korean War MIG alley stuff as well. So, Yeah, I, I was pleased to see that all made the... That all made the cut, and especially as uh, we was watching the YouTube video today, and they're unfolding the book, and I'm looking at it going, excellent, there's cards there, These there's these things that I was I was fearing would die in the cutting room floor. Maybe not everything made it there, but a, a lot of it looks like it did, which I think is going to be a, a great resource for, for everybody uh, who already has the starter set. Yeah, and uh, the other thing I tried to make sure that Airstrike could do is, like, you don't need the, the starter set. Uh, to use it, it's it's got all the Blood Red Skies rules in it, and then builds on them, saying, "Look, here's all the rules for the game, and here's some more rules that go on top of what you already knew." So you could kick off just with airstrike without having to buy a starter set. Was the idea? We're still going to do starter sets, and they're a good point to start in, of course. But some people, you know, some people always just like pick up a book first and have a read of that. So try to well, be cognizant and- of that. So it's something we've been privy to for a while uh, as we've looked through the revisions. Uh, there, in case people didn't catch it, there were some doctrine cards and some theater cards at the back, and I don't know uh, how much made it and how much didn't make it into the book, um, but it looks like you've really given people an ability to get the airstrike book and then pick up the miniatures they want and desire to build that force. Uh, what else made the cut besides the theater and doctrine cards and obviously the airstrike target cards? Uh, now you're asking me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Once again, things that things that roll off the production line are different than sometimes the view we see. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we, we cut into it many things. We put in tournament rules. That was a big one. Um, we did manage to get several extra sets of stats in for the Megali jets right, as excellent. well. That, um, that really made was, me happy. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, hopefully some good news on that as well, looking to the future. I was talking to Paul, and we're looking at doing Panthers and Shooting Stars. Excellent. Um, to excellent. add to the range probably later in the year. Um, as well as, you know, potentially looking at other, other things to do with jets. We've been talking about doing a Vietnam box set now. Oh, all the fun that will be, because I'm sure the the shift from uh, super fighters with guns to trying to figure out something of supersonic aircraft instead of just a super uh, super fast prop plane. Uh, I'm sure that's causing playtesters some headaches. Yeah, I'm I'm being assured that it can be done. You know, having various people telling me jets can be done, it can be made to work. And to be fair, the Korean War thing worked out better than I thought it was. So exciting times ahead. Hey, Eddie, this is Brett. I saw that in the draft version, at least, there were some things in the back, like uh, you see, I guess some of the things you get in a normal starter box with uh, things like skill discs and the cloud markers and all that. Did all that, to your knowledge, make it into the final cut? If you give me one second, I'll go and look on my shelf, because uh, I do have an actual print of it around here somewhere. Just one moment. I'll be right back. Yeah, here we go. I've got my book oh, in hand now. Perfect. Excellent. So uh, what we've got at the back, what we ended up with at the back, is we've got a page of Doctrine cards. Uh, we've got all of the positive and negative trait cards. So you've got biplane in there and jet and stuff like that. Rocket even as well. Uh, that's sharing a page with light flak and barrage cards. Uh, Solution vulnerable over the page. And then the rest of that page is theater cards. Uh, there's quite a few either new ones or ones that have only appeared in uh, squadron boxes with the theatre cards and the doctrine cards. Taking the opportunity to get good, them into good. more general circulation as well. Yeah, and I know that people have even asked when we've made some uh, some custom cards and custom scenarios, they say, where do I get that card? And I realize, oops, that was only in the Army Air Force pack or something like that that I used. <laughs> Yeah, we didn't manage to get everything, everything in, which is what I'd hoped for. Um, we have got a quick reference play sheet on the back as well. To help yeah, I'll, I'll be glad to see a, a quick reference sheet that's you know slightly different dimensions, fits into a, uh, a binder a little bit easier. That'll be uh, that'll be nice to have. Cool. So, well, we're looking yeah. forward to getting our copies. I, I know uh, it's one thing to to deal with uh, a document you're allowed to preview and then getting your own personal copy you have in your hands. I I kind of uh, hope that mine shows up before Coastal Con at the end of February. We'll see how the shipping does. <laughs> but at least that way, Brett and I can uh, legally stand around the table with the copy and uh, and share it with people and, and get a chance to get a lot of people hands-on with some of the, the ground attack rules uh, and some of those changes. So so let's, let's talk through just a few of those, because once again, as you've alluded to in some other interviews, you know, Blood Red Skies was a air-to-air based game and then everybody kept saying well escorting bombers is okay but i'd like to i'd like to get the story of what the bombers are doing i want to get, see how their mission went not just they flew to the target what were some of those mechanics compromises you had to make uh when you looked at bombing dive bombing torpedoes runs just to what were some of the things you did to make it straightforward for everybody and it wasn't turning into a really difficult intricate system um really it was it was trying to look at the 
the intricacies of ground attack and naval attack as well through the same sort of lens as is used for the main game in Blood Red Skies of air combat as well where we only have you know three levels of firepower for example we only have three levels of agility uh, so things are often done with quite big kind of meta mechanics rather than fiddly little bits and it was trying to approach ground attack in the same way was the main challenge there so there's a lot of little gradations between you know ooh, small bombs or rockets and so on it's like take a step back do we really care the delivery method is much the same the effect is much the same yeah you can quibble about this is better for this that's the better for that and we'll get into that uh, i think down the road but for sort of like setting the stall out of how the rules work you can treat them more or less as being the same things. So you look at your bigger devices of like, well, dive bombing's a kind of bombing, but it's still bombing. Okay, you know a bit about how to handle that. Torpedoes, again, it's sort of like bombing, but low level. Handle that differently. And then pretty much everything else comes down to strafing at low level with or without extra ordnance. So right. working from there, you can think about what targets are vulnerable to what and start to build up the target profiles, which I think are a very key part of how the system works. Oh, absolutely. And I know you and I have talked about the the interplay, and I'm sure you always laugh that I'm I'm the idiot that goes out and math hammers everything. I, I have to start at the basic the dice odds <laughs> and then go from there to say, all right, what can a what can a player do inside or outside of these odds? Um, but I know we've talked about the 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 crafting of a target set. Uh, in airstrike is almost as important as the scenario itself. And I know you call out in a couple different scenarios and you say, this target type may be too hard for this scenario. You know, unless you're bringing more airplanes than the six single-engine bombers, uh, you may want to change targets. And I, and I think that'll help players a lot because my fear anytime that you really expand a a set of rules like this is everybody assumes things are plug and play and you just, you you can't, math hammer everything out to be perfect so there's going to be some really tough target sets and you have to look and go well you can't fly six single engine stuka dive bombers against that and win it's just it's not mathematically possible um because of because you did have to generalize you know and you and i think you did a good job with that i, re I really enjoyed playing through a couple times with brett with uh, the ground attack rules even when it was frustrating when you get all the way through and you go I think we got like one area hit after sorting twelve bombers against the target. Brett, how did that how'd that work out when we were doing some of those uh, those multi scenarios with the SM seventy nines? Yeah, some of those weren't as easy as we first thought going into it. So yeah, you're right. It took a lot to put significant damage sometimes on targets. Yeah, which which I think is fine. And and Andy, you and I've have laughed about it where there's always a reward factor that sometimes getting to the target and getting some hits is is quote winning the game, uh, just because the amount of aircraft it would take in World War II to effectively go sink a carrier to go out there and actually destroy an airfield, or God forbid you have to go out and truly destroy, destroy a uh, reinforced rail bridge. Um, I, I think you made a, a lot of good compromises there. Yeah, I, I really wanted the targets to be pretty tough as a rule of thumb. You know, you were going to be hard put to actually knock out a target because the the worst end of the equation in terms of making a game is that the targets are too easy so you just sail on knock it out and that's that and and that starts to put a lot of stresses on the game over and above the the sort of like there should be air combat going on and something happening on the ground too if you know it's going to be a real a, a real bruiser to get through to each time then there's a challenge to the scenarios that wouldn't be there if it's like well i could just sail in with some late war planes you know zip in dive 18 drop some bombs on it we're done go home 
tea and crumpets, everyone. That's no fun. <laughs> exactly. Well, and you know, we uh, we looked at a couple of the scenarios early on when we were just talking the air to air in the Blood Red Skies uh, box set. I don't know if you, as a game developer, you run into issues where people don't understand that the reason there's different scenarios is that the the starting mechanics and the victory mechanics really have to be. I don't want to say somewhat scripted, but they have to be fairly tightly controlled uh, or else everything is just a Warhammer 40K-esque. You line up on one side, I line up on one side, and if our plane stats aren't balanced, uh, then uh, then it's going to be a very one-sided game. Yeah, to me, that's kind of part of the point of having a scenario is that, you know, you're putting together an event as a battle uh, with a theme to it and all the rest of it, and it should have a narrative to it. So... The, the scenario should feed into that, you know. If you want to just have a straight scrap, there are scenarios for that. But if we're going to go down this route of, like, exactly. having targets and bombers and the whole nine yards, then you're going to feel the burn. It's going to be a full cinematic experience, yeah. Some of those early games we played with the airstrike rule set, it really felt more like, gosh, if I could just get home alive, kind of, you know, in, 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 a, in a sense, yeah. I think it brought back some of the reality of the, well, you know, the missions that we were narrating, if you will. It was, and that kind of goes to the to the next question I want to discuss was adding the, the mechanic of flak in there, because I think any time that we, we delve into historical battle, we've talked about this before, there's always uh, everybody's perception of what happened, there's the stories that people tell of what happened, and then there's actually what happened out there on the battlefield. Um, and you always hear stories like, you know, flak so thick you could walk to Berlin and back. Um, that that wasn't necessarily the game we played. I know, Brett, uh, we, we played a couple different things. I used one target, then I used two targets and some of the other ones just to see what happened when I brought like 12 flak markers or something for barrage flak. Uh, but I think I think there's a certain cinematic element to it that's that's neat. But Andy, what did you what did you have to do? Did you find yourself having to roll back this this perception that Flak was downing every other air, aircraft out there on an attack run? Well, you got a strict divisor um, between your heavy Flak, your Flak barrages up in the skies, which are there as an attrition uh, tool more than anything else. They just sort of chip away. Uh, and won't necessarily take down planes. They might damage them or push them off course and things like that. Occasionally they'll take one down, but that's more luck than judgment. And then you've got light flak down close to the ground, which is just deadly. Uh, I'm always very kind of motivated by the the biographies and the, the stories I've read, you know, written by pilots. And you can tell what a, a tremendous hold on their mind light flak has any time they get close to the ground and they're, they're getting light flak. It's... It's a yeah, real bane, yeah. absolute bane to them. So uh, that gave me a, a good divisor to work with in terms of game mechanics between like, okay, let down low, it's really dangerous and deadly. Up high, it's like, eh, you know, do we want to try and grind through it or fly around? Yeah, it's counterintuitive to what we may have heard and seen in the movies where you, you're so accustomed to what we're witnessing is B-17 bombers on their way to Berlin, not necessarily all the actions of mosquitoes and other aircraft down low that are trying to go in and hit a Gestapo headquarters. And holy crap, as soon as the gig's up and the light flak's there, uh, nobody wants to go anywhere near the target area. <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of stories I was reading. So I tried to replicate that uh, as much as possible and you know, built a scenario around that idea of doing a surprise attack because sometimes that's the only thing that's going to work, really. Right. 
Well, that really leads into talking about the Korea and the MIG Alley uh, stats that are in there. So the nice thing is there's not just fighters in there, um, but there are, in a sense, some fighter bombers uh, in that uh, in that stat list. So uh, what are your thoughts about how airstrike plays with MIG Alley and with jets and, and with aircraft delivering arguably probably strafing ordnance uh, by the by the definition of uh, of uh, airstrike, but but being able to deliver ordnance against targets. It's a thing that I'm kind of glad that we use the strafing ordnance rules to cover a a real multitude of, like I say, fighters being used as bombers, carrying light bomb loads and attacking from low level. Um, I think getting it lined up and making it work with jets is, if anything, even harder than it is with slower aircraft. You, You have a lot more control of your destiny when you're not hurtling around quite that fast. But I don't know. Flak is flak, and it's still going to be as deadly no matter how fast you're going. So I don't know that it's necessarily going to be better off for them in the long run. Right. I, you know, I think it'll be interesting. I know we haven't played uh, a significant amount of MIG alley low altitude attack. We've done stuff with B-29s and bomber escort and things like that. Uh, so obviously at Coastal Con, assuming I have my copies of of everything, uh, then we'll we'll definitely start working through that. I know Brett and I uh, have both talked about how how interesting that would be to do you know bridges of Toko Re or some of these other uh, arguably much lower altitude attacks than people up in the stratosphere with a uh, B twenty nine being attacked by by MIGs defended by sabers. So we'll have to play through a couple of those things and see because I really did enjoy, or at least I enjoyed. I don't know if Brett enjoyed. I enjoyed defending B twenty nines. I thought it was fun. Uh, Brett, what was your thought on uh, defending uh, the the B-29s against the, or trying to shoot the B-29s down as a MiG player? Oh man, I want to stay away from that that tail cone or that tail gunner. Yeah, <laughs> that I did make you pay a few times with that, but you know it's it, it's fascinating, Andy. I know we uh, we've done a lot putting out playtest cards uh, like that, trying to help people say, okay, I, I get it. You need a you need a bomber uh, for your MiG alley kind of things. Here's a playtest version of a B-29 card. Uh, I think that'll be interesting to see where people's games go because I think it, it's going to be so so much different because there's so much more, at least in my opinion, low altitude jet action uh, with Korea that we'll just have to see what happens when you're trying to put barrage flak in front of a airplane that's flying 14 uh, inches a turn across the board. <laughs> yeah, although some of how barrage flak works is depending on how quickly you can turn because you know you right. can put it anywhere, so you can put it. Uh, just before they'll be able to turn at the end of their yeah. fast movement and let them run into it that way. I, I think we had the discussion of uh, rather than trying to throw it out across the board uh, for jets, husband it near the target and uh, and make it so they're going to have to decide, you know, at that turn or right after that next move, how they're going to get, uh, how they're going to worm their way through it uh, to get in range to attack. But definitely, definitely something fun to uh, to play with. And you know, I always caution people out there that these these are rules written by humans. They may not work coming out of the box. I got that, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll work through it and there'll be an FAQ and somebody will find a way to break, uh, what you have crafted with MIG alley and with, uh, airstrike. Um, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't play with it and shouldn't try. I look forward to the horrifying consequences of what you try to put together out of there. But yeah, this is the, the purpose of airstrike is like, it's a bunch of different targets and there are different rules for targets and different ways of attacking them and smash the dark parts together and see how it works. And, uh, yeah, Though I can understand now why you were looking at bridge stats and going like, oh my, how am I going to do that with strafing ordnance? 
<laughs> yeah. Well, and, and we talked about it as we were moving on with some other projects. I said, guys, uh, you know, we got to realize how hard bridges really are to take down. And, and you look at it and you go, do I want to, you know, send more bombers or do I want to, you know, uh, how do I want to attack this uh, as a scenario driven thing? Because there comes a point that, sure, I could simulate the actual mission against that bridge, uh, but I don't really want to field 24 medium bombers on the table. That's <laughs> that's not the purpose of me getting there and playing a quick game of Blood Red Skies. So that'll be that'll be interesting to work through. I know a lot of the the other um, concerns and questions that everybody has is you know as we're as we're starting to change the flavor of the game. We've added airstrike. We've gone from one uh, Battle of Britain box set. We will hopefully see later this year a Midway uh, box set there. Um, how or or what is your plan to kind of collate all the aces and some of the card packs uh, because there's still some aces that are hard to find because they were in the initial releases and they're out of print now. Um, there's some airplanes that we know is they're, they're going to transition from uh, either metal to resin or there's some of them that are plastic releases. You know, some of those cards may go away for a while. What What's the plan there, big picture? Big picture is we don't know, really. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fine. But, you know, I, th- I think that's – it's a – it's a question you probably see all the time in the in the ready room, and I know we do that. That people say, "Well, I don't have that ace, but that's a really cool trait, and I want to play it with my um, w- with my custom ace that I'm making for my scenario." So, is there a thought about you know how we could release ace cards without diminishing the value of not getting that individual ace, at least ace skill cards, I should say? You're talking about ace skill cards. Oh, okay, interesting. Uh, nothing direct like that at the moment. The ace cards themselves. Um, Warlord are doing some work with like putting out tournament packs for this coming year. Okay. And one of the Excellent. things they've asked us to, to supply them is ace cards that they can do as giveaways at tournaments. So, <laughs> well, that sounds kind of familiar. Brett, have you thought of something similar? <laughs> so, yes, the, the, the plan is to do a bunch of aces that way and um, get them out to uh, people as giveaways at tournaments. That doesn't really solve the problem of ace cards, though, it must be said. Right. The ace skill cards, right, let's be clear again. Okay. I know Brett has talked a little bit about that uh, for something at some of the events we're doing. Brett, is there anything you wanted to kind of throw out there uh, on that after our last talks with John and everybody else? Well, it just seems like uh, we've got a little closer to being able to put together a little, uh, we call it play and take, so that folks that come by and visit the different tables could uh, potentially come away with a little goodie bag that has uh, kind of our representation, if you will, of a, you know, an ace that's representative of the table they're on. So you, know, you pick your faction here. Here's a here's a unique ace card and a plane, so you can go home and you know play with your uh, I don't know semi collectible item you just picked up. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know your collectible plastic airplane with its uh, paper card that goes with it. Yeah, yeah no, your, your souvenir exactly for the event. Your souvenir from yeah, Adepticon. yeah. Well, Chris, you've been doing some great work on the ace cards for us. And Andy, I don't know if you've seen any of those uh, in the ready room, but Chris, what are some of your thoughts on on kind of where you've taken the ace cards uh, with, with the artwork and everything you've done? Well, my whole purpose behind the ace cards was just to support us at Adepticon and everybody's interested in them. And honestly, it, I was just trying to force myself to learn InDesign a little bit better and some other techniques. And, and it just kind of led into, well, this is actually pretty simple when you have uh, a shell built for each of them. And now I've got a shell built for everybody, including the Italians. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's been fun and, um, and I, I plan on keeping doing it. In fact, um, we did, um, I, I can't remember. We did the Falcon of Malta last night, 
um, cranked that out, was watching UFC, was between fights, and I was like, hey, I got 20 minutes. Let me sit down and crank yeah, this yeah, card. Yeah, I know you guys blew once. up my Facebook with uh, photos and uh, commentary and historical notes going back and forth. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it always ends up funny because I'll, I'll do it, and then me and Brett will have to go through and, and dissect the my, my poor grammar skills. Um, yeah, me poor grammar. That's nothing, impossible. Yeah, I would, um, I would expect nothing else that from a uh, from a, a fellow former, you know, marine oh knucklehead God. dragging their knuckles along the. Uh, so, ground. but um, you know, it's pretty, but it's got bad spelling on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Andy, we made a running joke that I could work for Warlord. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm actually gonna yeah. hide. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to hire somebody, a proofreader, uh, just to go work and, and proofread for Warlord and for Chris. Brett, I know you had a couple points uh, on working on those cards. Uh, well, first of all, this is the only three-person group I could ever be in that I would be the most literate among. Yeah, so. that, that is frightening. <laughs> uh, I have a question on this. You know, we're talking about ace cards and that kind of thing. I, this is a question really for Andy. I, I'm really curious, but I think because we've been, you know, cranking out a handful of, uh, you know— one-off aces and stuff. Is there a pointing methodology that you use to come up with, you know, points for aces? I mean, we, we don't have any idea really how they're pointed. And I think it's, you know, that we have you here. Maybe, maybe there's something you could tell us about that. I make it up. Okay. <laughs> uh, <probably laughs> Excellent. That works for us as well. <laughs> yeah. I make it up. They, they, they started a baseline of 125, of course, because they are aces. And they go up from there based around if they're firepower based if they get a firepower bonus that's usually worth a bit more uh, a lot of it comes down to the synergy of the two skills they've got uh, and I I'm not a great believer in trying to point individual skills up because then you just go ah that one's cheap with that one <laughs> and all the rest of it so that's possibly something to, we should try and do at some point but thus far I've basically taken a look at them and weighed them up I've now started keeping a longer list of all the aces that have been done and looking at the ones that have gone before and they usually wind up somewhere between, uh, you know, 130, 125 even, and uh, 140, 145, I think, are the highest costed ones out there right now. I'll send you the list sometime. You can look at them. Yeah, I think we've just run every one we've done so far as 135, and I think that was because that was the first, first yeah, card we well, did. Well, <laughs> if you look at that spread, that means that, that you know, that there is a 15-point yeah. spread is actually yeah. what you're looking at. And if you take that in five-point chunks, then it's like one, two, or three. So, like I say, there, there isn't a formula beyond that of, like, how tough an ace does this look like to me? And, like, some guy with, like, cool under fire or something like that, plus, say, an offensive skill like accurate, that's a pretty good package skill. If he's got firepower as well, then you're looking at about 140 for a guy like that. But, you know, if it's, like, agility and, I don't know, blackout master and something else that's not too useful, bit situational, then you're far more likely looking down at, like, 130-ish. And that's the way I do them. Um, yeah, awesome. They're more formula than that, really. <laughs> well, and and that goes to really one of the questions that Jonathan Dale asked about, you know, game balance. And, and I know that there's so many people that, that come from one or two backgrounds. They either come from a super narrative background where nobody cares if it's balanced because we're going to write the story and we're going to figure out what should be there. Uh, and then there's super competitive where they really want it balanced. And I found so, so few players... Uh, in between, uh, you know, Jonathan kind of just wants to know how did how did you how did you balance the realism versus game balance? Uh, you know, really with the simplicity, specifically for aircraft, because after a while, like you said, with three traits, not a lot of spread between zero and, and three, and maybe a dash if you have none of none of that trait. <laughs> um, you, you know, how did you balance those things? Um, 
Well, with the, the aircraft themselves, some of it comes down to just hard numbers. You know, you can find aircraft speeds, uh, and you, you cross your eyes and ignore the fact that those are actually for different altitudes, and just say, well, what's their best speed? Beyond that, you you can look at harder stats like wing loading and things like that, uh, and they're kind of like acceleration and climb, but they again often don't tell the whole story. I personally like to read what the pilots who flew them thought about them, which will tell you an awful lot more in my experience about whether they really had good traits or not, and whether they were good to fly, and certainly something like agility. I rate a lot on how. Uh, confident their pilots were about flying them because particularly with World War II aircraft so much of it comes flying to the edge of what right. your aircraft can take uh, it defines how agile that that plane really is so you know if you don't trust it for a moment like it's going to kill you at any moment it's not going to be a very <laughs> agile plane it doesn't matter how good right. you are um, well it does actually in Blood Red Skies terms you know, your pilot skill always matters how good you are but the plane won't help you very much let's put it that way right Whereas something that, you know, is a dream to fly and all the pilots say what a dream it is to fly and so forth, you know, it'll bring you home safe. That kind of reputation on a plane makes me tend to think of it in terms of, for Blood Red Skies, for sort of air fighting terms, that, that's agility that you can work with. And uh, so that counts for something. So stuff like that. Uh, with weaponry, it's, it's again, it, it's fairly formulaic for that. I say that there's really only one, two, or three that it's going to fall into with the category of, of like, right. you know, small, medium, or large. <laughs> well, I'd, you know, there's there's that tough line between simplifying and making an easy game, and then adding things that are either fluff or narrative. I know Brett had a lot of questions about Sandstorm because obviously he's had time to read through it. I've looked at it and said, "Oh, look, more dice I have to roll. I'm going to stop that for now." Brett, what were some of the things you wanted to talk about with that? Well, I just wanted to say, well, again, thanks, Andy. This Sandstorm thing looks awesome. I just really kind of dove into it today before we started recording and. I mean, I was turning each page and sitting these guys' messages like, oh my gosh, have you seen page two? <laughs> it was, I was to which I was replying, shut up. I'm trying to renovate a cabin and get ready for a podcast. So Brett, stop being a fanboy. <laughs> right. Uh, I was completely geeking out over the sandstorm thing. And I, I see it as, uh, you know, just looking through it, I, I'm thinking, gosh, this is really a great way to make the most out of the airstrike uh, box set. And uh, I just wanted to kind of get your insight on you know, how enthusiastic you might be about Sandstorm, what you put into it, and what you might see on the horizon. Is there anything else, like other similar uh, open campaign style, uh, things like this that might come out for other aspects of the war? brilliant thing about Sandstorm is I barely had anything to do with it. It was basically the guys over at Warlord uh, had had a hold of Airstrike for a while and put it together out of what was there. And with the help of Can specifically, he was uh, really keen on doing stuff about the, the can openers, all the guys with the heavy cannons trying to blow up tanks and so forth. So it, it came together out of that sheer enthusiasm. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I kind of read through <laughs> it and went like, wow, okay, yeah, well done, guys. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, nice work. I'm glad. Can I put my name at the bottom? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let it rock overall. Yeah. And that's exactly. Um, what airstrikes intended to be there for is to you know give yourself give you some leverage for putting together something like a specific campaign like you guys have done with Malta uh, and want to do with your bridges and career as well by uh, giving you a set of tools to do that with. 
And we appreciate all having all the tools between just you know getting through airstrike and, and actually getting early eyes on. So so once again, thank you for sharing what you could with us, um, and also appreciate you letting us go out there and and take some stat lines that you may have discussed and figured out and and release some unofficial cards because we know production schedules are what they are. We're, we're not going to get everybody's release they want. We're not going to get the French, the Finns, the Italians, whatever smaller air force you want immediately in the same year. So, you know, we're enjoying making those cards. I know, uh, like everything else, it's always a proofreading nightmare when uh, Brett and Chris look at it and go, you know, you misspelled Mustang. And I'm like, all right, apparently I'm an idiot. I shouldn't have that many tequila drinks before I start typing cards. Uh, but the uh, the fact is, we know we're not going to get to some of these smaller air forces. What, what do you think the next uh, custom, I shouldn't say custom air force, but the next small air force drop will be? Will it be the Italians? Will it maybe be the Finns or the French? What do you think? Um, we were kind of set for doing some Italians uh, until other forces intervened, like starting to try and do all the aircraft in resin uh, and that kind of upending the production schedule. So if if we have our time again and it comes back round to it, then Italians, I think, would probably be start of the list. Although, because there's so much stuff happening for the Pacific next year, there's also been, well, maybe we should do a Brewster Buffalo. And that kind of feeds to the fins as well ironically <laughs> how much is pacific distracting from the european theater because with that midway box set coming out i mean that's that's reinvigorating some of the desire for the wildcats the corsairs and, and things we've had out there but then you do open up i really kind of need buffaloes for for some of these engagements and for some of the parts of the theater and really getting off into obscure japanese planes and, and things like that uh, potentially yes potentially yes so the, the, there is a bit of a danger of like everything getting sucked into doing pacific theater stuff um one of the things i was talking about with paul is that ultimately doing squadron boxes a, a lot of the the production time or the studio time to be more accurate actually goes into making the box themselves now doing the artwork on that a lovely artwork on the front and all the rest of it um, and actually producing the model isn't isn't such a big deal as it used to be once upon a time, thanks to the marvels of modern technology. So this is what the test case with those Panthers and um, shooting stars is going to be for Korea, I think, whether they'll probably not do a squadron box and they'll just sell them direct uh, so you can buy your bases and your, well, your models Please tell me that... They'll come in a uh, a fancy Warlord box with a Blood Red Skies logo, so Chris can do like he did with all of his Forge World resin and put it on a shelf and stare at it as it doesn't get assembled. <laughs> I'll suggest it right, to Chris. Them. Jackass. <laughs> I had to bring that up. Well, you know, that I, I laugh because I'm really excited to see this this shift to direct resin sales, and my checkbook is very very afraid because. There is a little bit of discipline I have when I look at a, a squadron box and go, eh, do I really need it? Am I going to get to it? Versus the pure resin addict acquisition that I know Brett and Chris and I have, have all have all gone through at one point. So um, if you at least give us nice boxes to put it in, we'll feel better. <laughs> we won't feel so ashamed uh, of our nice logo box, I see. Yeah, it could just have the BRS logo on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> well, in, in all seriousness, the, this, this may give us a route towards doing stuff that we couldn't confidently put in a squadron box and try and sell to retailers and say, oh, hey, you want a load of Italians? You know you do. Uh, or Finns or Brewster Buffaloes or what have you. But they, they would be, you know, available um, for the game as a whole, which, you know, in my eyes is just as good at the end of the day. 
Right, right. Well, and the nice thing is it allows people to acquire at their speed in the sense of uh, sometimes with the, the box set, I know for me, I sit there and look at it and go, okay, I'm going to get six more airplanes, a bunch of stands, some more you know, card discs and things. I'm like, I really just wanted to buy two of these. <laughs> and I wanted to just see kind of how they played a little bit. Um, I know, right. Especially but, something uh, like twin engines, something like oh, a, yeah. a box oh, yeah. of like six <laughs> BF-110s. And it's, that's a commitment, man. You've made a yeah. commitment there. No, it's not. That's a weekend for Brett. <laughs> I've made I've made that mistake uh, what three times probably. I think I don't know. Yeah. I just keep painting. I'm like, oh wait, I could probably just use two of these for this theater. No, I, I paint all six for each theater. I've done that three times now. Yeah. Yeah. So Andy, Brett has a problem, and I don't know how we're going to get him therapy for it. I think it's going to be called you know Blood Red Skies Warlord Resin, but uh, maybe we can slow him down a little in his painting. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Is the is the twin engine ones? They're just so huge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, so uh, we talked a little bit about the the midway starter, but what do you think it's going to look like from your discussions with Warlord? Will it be, you know, is it same size as the Battle of Britain starter, same kind of things in there? Is there going to be a shift to to how things are are presented, how the models are done? Or or what can you tell us about the production values of the starter set? Um, From what we've talked about so far, it'll be very much very similar in terms of like the, the presentation to the Battle of Britain starter set. So same sort of size box, same number of aircraft in the box. We're looking at six of the A6M2 zeros versus six Wildcats uh, for your box contents, F4Fs, if I remember rightly. And some card uh, representations for single-engine single bombers so that you can do the escorting and attacking scenarios nice. with those. And that they'll be... I'll admit, they'll be fairly generic double-sided counters is what I'm looking for for those, because, you know, I, I have a little bit of difficulty telling them apart in the first place, so I, I think <laughs> we can fudge that one in terms of like, oh, look, they're torpedo bombers today. Oh, now they're dive bombers. Yeah. And you, you can well, replace well, them with lovely I'll models, honest, which we will sell separately. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, I think that's there's a point to that that we um, we sometimes have lost uh, as we've gone to the individual models, I know my own model acquisition is, is part of the problem, um, but that it's perfectly okay to play your your bombers that you're escorting the scenario with a you know, a cardboard marker out there, just like we had in the Battle of Britain starter set. And I think that applies no matter the area you're going through, whether you're going through Midway, whether you're doing something later on and you need uh, you know jet-powered bombers to escort to the target. I, I think being able to say, here's the fighters we know we want to concentrate on. Uh, here's these ugly other things that we need to model in the gaming system that have to actually get there for you to win, not just your pretty little fighters. Um, because I, I think, at least you know, my perception is the Battle of Britain starter set was great because it allowed you to do everything in those scenarios out of the box, and there was no questions asked. Um, you could always acquire more to make them look pretty or try different aircraft in that scenario, but you, but you had what you needed to kind of simulate uh, all the missions that were in there. So, so doing that in Midway, I think, will, will really help uh, people want to acquire it, not feel like they're they're kind of buying a you know only a, a plus up of airplanes in that sense. Yeah, cardboard carriers possibly in the box set. Oh, most assuredly. Um, at the end of the day, Warlord, all the guys at Warlord, including myself, we we, we come from that old Games Workshop tradition, and back in the nineties, uh, it was it was how we made our mark on the world was you got a game in a box. That was the whole idea behind it. You could buy a box and it had everything in it you needed to play that game. And that's become like commonplace now as, as a, a presentation, as a concept. But we always kind of like, 
we hold to those old standards of like you know we'll give you a marker and a token for everything that you need in the box or at least we should do that's the the principle that we work by so yeah again double-sided cardboard carrier to bomb he joined us so late that uh, I think, Brett, you were drinking beer and actually chasing women in the days while uh, Chris and I were pushing little uh, Games Workshop models around the table. Yeah, I probably had a girlfriend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah thanks. <laughs> hey, I was not living in my mom's basement. Thank you very much. <laughs> I was at college. <laughs> well, that, and that leads to one of the, the kind of the questions um, that I've had talking about uh, Blood Red Skies as, as something that you, Andy, own and things that it touches, other gaming systems, other interesting concepts. Uh, we've talked about all the other cool World War II-like gaming systems. Obviously, there's ways to connect Blood Red Skies and Bolt Action. That makes it fairly straightforward with some of the missions that are in Airstrike. Uh, what are some of the other alternate history developers that are out there that you've, that you've talked to that, that maybe you could go out and do a, a Blood Red Skies uh, uh, mission or whatever pack for for their game. Oh, I get it. You're fishing, right? Um, I'm yeah. always trying to fish for answers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To a certain extent, I mean, to my mind, once you start getting into ME two six twos and and comets and stuff like that, one six threes, then you're almost getting into alternate history anyway. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see doing that. There, there is. I, I particularly like the the dust. 1947 Diesel Punk Universe by Paolo Parente. I'm always very fond of that. And uh, I should probably talk to him about it sometime. He's a man who likes aircraft as well. Makes I think that would be a wonderful idea, especially if you name dropped the Lead Pursuit podcast. <laughs> yes, we've had this discussion many times already. <laughs> well, and maybe, Just amongst maybe us. my dust would stop collecting dust, which is where it is in the carrier right now because I've been doing so much Blood Red Skies. <laughs> and we could get Brett to paint his. Yeah, I wrote a novel for him, you know. For dust. Well, see, I didn't. I didn't even know that. See, that's that's how out of the loop I am. I'm learning more things about your career as we talk. Yeah, I wrote a Battle of Zverograd novel for him a few years back. Well, see, there you go. I should have actually read the uh, subtitle on that one because I think I have. <laughs> I think I have a copy of it sitting around here somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's um, it's a read. It's a good read. I think overall, I quite, I really enjoyed writing it. I'll be honest. Uh, I had a good time writing that book. So, it's probably a little effusive at times. Well, speaking of partnerships and writing, uh, so it sounds like you and Gav Thorpe are uh, getting back together on another game for Warlord. Did you want to talk anything about that, even though it's not Blood Red Skies and involving airplanes? Uh, yes, we, we have an ongoing um, package of games we're doing uh, based around the 2000 AD comic lines. And myself and Gav already destroyed him dog. And then Roger Gerrish had just done Judge Dread, and I helped him out on that a little bit, uh, but based off the work that me and Gav did for Strontium Dog. And the next thing that me and Gav are working on now is Slain, which is uh, 2000AD's barbarian fantasy, let's call it that, side of the equation, which is a, quite a change of pace from the previous two games. So we're, we're having a lot of fun with that at the moment. Well, you know, talking with uh, Roger, it's always funny how people assume that, uh, I hate to call them derivative games, but games that build off of some uh, another games that are somehow easier or simpler or don't open that can of worms. And I think Roger was telling me how much uh, doing Dread had taken years off of his life. <laughs> that you, you always end up finding things you didn't think about or, or 
rules considerations. So I think it'll be interesting to see where the 2000 AD series goes. I I have been fortunate. I have not picked up Strontium Dog nor Judge Dredd, uh, and I'm hoping John Russell does not send me a copy of Judge Dredd that I'll start having to paint miniatures and play because uh, that will only distract me from uh, everything in Adepticon with Blood Red Skies. That's right. We need you, we need you focused, man. Yeah, I, I need focus. I'm terrible with focus. Brett, I know you had a, uh, a question about some other uh, cross uh, cross pollination with uh, with videos and others. Oh yeah, this for Andy. This probably way off the reservation, but I wonder if it's something you thought of before. I I've played some like mobile games or whatever that were based on the 40k IP, and I found them pretty clever with little you know animations and stuff. And it seems to me, gosh, I would love to play something like that where there were where I could move my elements of World War II fighter planes around and do things, Blood Red Skies, in that kind of way, either on a console or on a uh, you know mobile app or something. Is that ever something that's come to mind? Is that something you think could happen sometime? Um, I ha- I have done a little bit of speculative work, shall we say, on how you might render a Blood Red Skies mobile game specifically. Um, I do do work with um, Thomas Pruinen's company, Reforge Games, uh, out in Finland, and they do work on on various titles actually on PC as well as mobile. And uh, yeah, we've poked around at a few different ideas for that. I'd like to do it at some point. Mobile is a tough market. It must be said. I know this from working with the Finns. There's like a million, million, million games being produced all at once, and the most random ones ever will do incredibly well, and most of them go into the dustbin of history. So difficult to get traction. Uh, I would be interested in doing it. There's actually a, a series of Sid Meier games, fighter combat games, that you can get on Steam. I played years ago. Ace of the Pacific and all that lot. Uh, which aren't bad. They're kind of hex-based, though. But uh, they get a little bit of a flavour for it. But yeah, overall, I'd like to do something like that sometime. Opportunity is the key thing. Yeah, you're going to make me go uh, dig into my Steam account and see what I can what I can download and find, because I know I was a fan years ago uh, from SSI of the Steel Panthers series of games, even as it went into Steel Panthers 3, kind of the brigade-sized uh, battles. But I, I always loved that, and even though it was very turn-based-ish, very, you know, uh, hex-based sort of. Um, that that was a, a great gaming system. So there's a lot of them that are out there that either have become abandoned where or just need to be pulled into the modern era. I think besides just the aesthetic with, you know, the potential for clever animations and all the planes we love and maybe cards that, uh, you know, we could collect or apply in the game just like we do on our tabletop game, I think it would be fun to play just to enhance my... Uh, my play on the table, you know, like in between actual table games, which for me personally, I don't get to very often, you know, maybe it would help me be a better player when I do have those opportunities. I'd probably play the heck out of that. <laughs> and and that leads me to the question of Andy, uh, a vassal mod for uh, Blood Red Skies. I haven't seen one out there. Maybe there is one. Maybe I'm just not smart. Uh, any any thought of doing that? So uh, I hate to call it play by email because that dates ourselves when we say that, but uh, some remote playing uh, possibilities. Is, is that in the cards? Uh, that would be a really good idea. Um, you can count it as being on the cards now, because I think th- this is the reality of tabletop gaming: is that we, we spend a lot of time thinking about it, preparing for it, but the actual opportunities to get together around a tabletop are, are hard to find. So anything that lets you play solo or let you play remotely, I think is, is it's kind of like Chris's high school dating career. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, did I say that? 
I'm just not even going to humor you. Yeah, see, that takes all the fun out. I can't insult my fellow podcast. I'm sure I did much better than you did. Oh, ow. You're you're right. I didn't live in Phoenix City, Alabama. So (laughs) (laughs) we'll just, we'll leave that whole to the kissing your sister uh, discussion from earlier. So (laughs) sorry, Andy, I had to digress to make fun of, of Chris there. That's all good. That's all good. I can see you gentlemen have a nice, healthy relationship with one another. It is thoroughly unhealthy. <laughs> We're bad for each other. Very unhealthy. <laughs> Involves a lot of day drinking, general insults. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> a whole bunch of profanity. Uh, well, I've been good this podcast. I haven't dropped too many F-bombs. Uh, but we are running it kind of to the, uh, to the end of our time. Chris, was there any uh, last-minute questions you wanted to throw Andy's way before we hop off the podcast? No, that, he pretty much touched on everything I wanted with the cards. I mean, that was, that was some, some great insight on, um, yeah, I, I swag it <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> on the numbers. Love the honesty. I love the I honesty. worship the ground that Andy walks on. I assumed he had a plan, that he didn't just make this up. <laughs> uh, slight digression anecdote here for you here. The, the guys over on um, – there's a, a Facebook page for Strontium Dog and uh, Judge Dredd as well. And they were trying to figure out that what the notori- notoriety costs would be for different characters uh, based off you know what's in the rule book and figuring it out and trying to work it backwards from there and so on. To which, uh, again, I had to confess, well, actually, guys, I do have a calculator for it. And, you know, it's, you know, you multiply the stats and then you kind of divide them and so forth. But it has got the name of the bullshit points value calculator. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> the points value that I'm going to disregard and then pick my own. Well, no, it, it gives you a, a starting point is the way I look at it, because then right. you make it up from there. <laughs> Once again, based on, oh, well, he's got these skills, but it's in that combination. So actually that makes him uh, 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 and so on and so forth. So once again, yep. There is no formula. <laughs> there is no formula. Excellent. Well, Brett, any uh, any last minute questions? No questions. Just want to say, you know, thanks for everything that's coming out our way. Really excited about Airstrike, and uh, I mean, if it's if our collections in just a year, not even a year, from Adepticon, where we were three guys that just walked up having never played, to where we are now, and the things that we're diving into and exploring, is any indication you've made something that's really. Uh, excited a lot of folks and it's a lot of fun to play and collect and hobby on so thank you that's awesome and yeah i, I can only say thank you guys for you know spreading the word and taking it and playing at adepticon as well because uh, i i've spent a professional career a lifetime 30 years making tabletop games and i definitely rate it as being one of my best ones if not the best one that i've made so whenever people pick up on it and you can see that like light gleam in their eyes is it's just it's a fantastic piece of uh affirmation for me let's put it that way so thank you very much i could also i could also say that it's uh really sparked a lot of uh additional i don't know research and interest that i would have never never otherwise come across i mean i'm looking into things reading books you know spending extra time finding facts and figures and interesting anecdotes and stories that, you know, I never would have had any reason to, to come across outside of just it maybe a more ordinary interest in aviation and, and military uh, aviation in, in, in particular. And now, though, I've, I've, <laughs> I'm stumbling across stuff and, and diving deeper and finding all these things that I never would have otherwise discovered. So that's that's been a big part of it, too. 
this, in all honesty, is always the great joy of games, and always has been for me. And making games is that you you do get this pathway, this opportunity to draw someone into something that you find exciting yourself into another world, and it can be like Strong Jim Dog or Judge Dredd, where it's comic strip, and it's like, oh, I've been reading this forever, you know, here's a way to enjoy something that I've been enjoying forever, and I hope you enjoy it too. Or it can be something historical like World War Two, And again, it's, it's saying, like, this is cool. Here is a way that I can show you something that I think you would like to know more about, and it's brilliant when it works out that way, and you do, and you clock onto it and start to learn more about a fascinating piece of history. Absolutely. And, and thanks, uh, Andy. I really appreciate uh, all the information and time you've extended to uh, us on the Lead Pursuit podcast, not just coming on and uh, discussing your games and, and some of the, the thought behind them, but uh, sending us early leaks, sending us early information, uh, asking us to help out and give some feedback, uh, because we really think that the, the key to Blood Red Skies, that may, what makes it so different from a lot of the other games, is it has a, a tighter community base. And you know, people quickly give feedback. They'll quickly let you know if they don't like that stat or that trade on the airplane. But uh, it gives us a, a very close feedback cycle. Um, so we appreciate being part of that. Hopefully the, uh, the changes and some of the submissions we sent your way have helped out. Um, but definitely, thanks for coming on the podcast. And thanks for giving us a chance to harass and interview you for a while longer. Hopefully, uh, we'll get our copies of Airstrike here shortly. Uh, and I'll remind all the listeners, when you get your copy of Airstrike, um, go ahead, read through it. Let us know what you think. Uh, comment on Facebook. Uh, you don't have to send Andy an email directly. <laughs> You'll probably see it all in the ready room. Um, but uh, take a look at the things that, uh, that may be a little different than the playtest versions that we've been uh, using over the last couple of years. Because um, we're really excited to get it and to, and to move forward and see what's next in Blood Red Skies, uh, whether it's going to be more jets, more props, uh, more World War II, or even, as you alluded to in the uh, interview uh, earlier that we saw, uh, maybe moving into Vietnam and all the things that that would cause. So thank you, Andy. Really appreciate your time, and thanks for being on the podcast. Great talking to you guys. You have yourselves a great adaptive and uh, I'll speak to you again soon.